0: Our studying the scriptures let's have a word of prayer. Lord help us this morning as we continue working our way through this important book that has been labeled the Acts of the Apostles. I pray you will open our eyes, that we will understand, challenge us, convict us, encourage us as the case may be. But help us this morning to be reminded again of how desperate we are for you and how needful we are for you. And so help us to worship you and help us to grow and help us to glory in you. In your name I pray. Amen. Acts chapter two is an interesting <clears throat> chapter. You could say that Acts chapter one is the preparatory chapter. Probably the best way, uh, probably the best way to describe Acts chapter 1, actually, it's the preparatory chapter. That is, it's preparatory to Acts chapter 2 through 28. Without Acts chapter 1, we would not have Acts 2 through 28, and ongoing to this present age and all the way to the end of the age. You would also say, then, if Acts chapter 1 is preparatory, then you'd have to say that Acts chapter 2 is... The new beginning. Now, some would argue that the new beginning is referencing the church starting in Acts chapter two. Others would disagree with that, in other theological camps would say that uh, uh, that the church actually began in Acts chapter. I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter twelve. Be that as it may, whatever your persuasion is, that doesn't matter. the The point I'm trying to make is this. The new start is the work of the Holy Spirit in power like never seen before. And that's what Acts chapter 2 is is describing. The preparatory, chapter 1. The reality, chapter 2. The new beginning, chapter 2. The new beginning that will continue to the end of the age. Chapter 2 and following. In order to have the following, though, you need to understand the beginning. And the beginning is essential. Because if we don't understand the beginning very well, we'll screw everything else up. It's very important we do that. We understand that, I hope. You've got to understand your preparatory stuff, the foundational stuff, and then you've got to understand the beginning of it in order to actually get it to a conclusion. You don't have the prep. You don't have the the beginning. Your ending is going to look disgusting. Those things in woodworking are important, aren't they? (laughs) In everything they are. So we come to chapter 2, and just so you're aware, a couple things. There is a, a, uh, obviously verses 1 through um, at least, um, well, you could say verse 1 is the still part of preparatory. And then you have the, the chapter breaks down in several categories. Obviously, verse 2 through, cha- through chapter 2, verse 13 is the initial revealing of the new beginning. And then in 14 following, you have the new beginning exploding on the scene. And even in the 14 following, it breaks down in several categories, because then we have Peter presenting his sermon to the masses. And in his present- presentation to the masses, it breaks down in several categories, and we're going to walk through each category in individual weeks. So we're going to break down his sermon into probably three or four sermons. Hope you all don't mind. Um, it's not that I think I could do a better job than, than Peter did, because I know I can't. But the point is, I want to look at it a little closer, if that makes sense. If it doesn't, hopefully it makes sense over time. Today, however, we're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 of chapter 2. The initial new beginning. Last verse of preparation, and then the new beginning starting to open up. And I think, I think what we're going to find, if I may say this as well before we get into the text itself, especially in this first section of verses 1 through 13, Christians have, in the last hundred or so years, have missed the real points going on in the text because we've gotten caught up in something else. And what do you think they've gotten caught up in? Christians have gotten caught up in verses 1 through 13 on what, do you think? The tongues. the tongues. Absolutely. They've gotten all caught up in the tongues and the flame of fire and those type of things. And I think it's important to recognize what's going on there. But I would present there's something bigger going on than, than tongues and, and the uh, flame of fire and the wind and the noise. Sound. I think there's something much bigger going on. Um, and once again, my opinion, I'm just presenting my opinion to you, but I think we get distracted by things in the Scriptures, and it's not innocent. So I just want to say this right from the get-go. I think we get distracted by things, and it's not innocent distraction. Now, I think there's t- occasions when it's innocent, mistaken. But I think, generally speaking, we get distracted by... Things that easily distract us, but the reason why is because we don't want to focus on what the text is really talking about. Because what the text is really talking about, frankly, is kind of uncomfortable. Does that make sense? It's kind of uncomfortable. Let me use the illustration. This is nothing to do with the scriptures. But you get Cancer. And you go to the doctor, and you go through the process of getting cured, so to speak. You take the chemo, you take the radiation, you follow all the the, the directions of the doctor. Maybe you have surgery. And then eight months later, or a year later, you go back to the doctor, and after all is said and done, he says, you are what? No. (laughs) Cancer-free. Okay? And you walk away from that and you didn't hear anything else he said. All you heard is what you wanted to hear, which is just a distraction, right? Because he didn't tell you you were cured. Right? Because there's no cures to cancer at this point, for the most part. There's a couple exceptions. There's no cures, but that's what we hear. After the surgery, we got it all. You go through the radiation, you go through the chemo, and they say, you're cancer-free, which means what? what? Here's what it means. At this moment in time, at this moment in time, we see no evidence of cancer in you. Which means what? The surgery, the chemo, and the radiation, and all the directions the doctor gave you, it had effect for this moment. Right? That's what it means. Now, it may return. It may not. Some cancers return. Some don't. Some some take a long time to return. Some take a short time to return. But... No, he's not. Is he guaranteeing you that you're not going to be cancer-free in 10 years? No. Did he even imply that? No. I say this because I hear it all the time from people. I hear it all the time. People say, I'm cured. Like, eh. Eh. I don't think you heard what he said. Because that's not what a doctor will say. If a doctor tells you you're cured, except for a few exceptions... And cancer, you probably have the wrong doctor. But the problem is, we hear what we want to hear. Why? Because we don't want to face the other alternative, do we? Does that make sense? We don't want to have to recognize the other alternative. Because the other alternative is kind of what? It's depressing. It's dreary. It's discouraging. Right? Does that make sense? It's uncomfortable. It challenges me. I don't like that position. So I prefer to to take and hear what I want to hear versus what's really being told. And I think when it comes to the scriptures, we do this over and over and over again. We hear what we want to hear because, frankly, if we hear what God wants us to hear, it's really uncomfortable. It's really challenging. Now, some would say, yeah, but Steve, why does every message almost seem to be so uncomfortable? <laughs> right? Why do most messages you preach, Steve, seem to feel so uncomfortable? Do you really enjoy being, making us feel uncomfortable? No! It makes me uncomfortable, too. But you know what? We're talking about a holy God, aren't we? We're talking about an absolutely righteous, holy, sinless, perfect God, are we not? And as we talk about that God, are we not talking about man as well? And is not man the opposite of that? (laughs) Aren't we? Well, isn't that by nature going to be uncomfortable? I mean, praise the Lord, that... My only hope is what? That I have his righteousness, right? That I have Christ's righteousness. That's my only hope. And that I have the Spirit work within, right? Absolutely. As, as Ephesians says, you know, the Holy Spirit has, has sealed me unto the day of redemption. That's his work, right? That's not mine, because I can't. I don't have a righteousness of my own, as Paul said, in Philippians chapter 3. But when I'm thinking about God, I'm interacting with who God has revealed himself to be and who he's revealed me to be. It's really uncomfortable. And, and what makes it doubly uncomfortable is too often I find myself thinking that this is good Christianity. Generically speaking, this thing, whatever it is, this is good Christianity. But God says this is Christianity. I, I find myself creating in my mind this is faithfulness. Right here, this, this, is, a, this is a definition of faithfulness. And God says this is faithfulness. That's really uncomfortable, isn't it? By nature it is. And so what we do too often is we get distracted by other things and miss the real thing. Because it's really uncomfortable. I think we find that in in today's text. Let's read it starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Are not all these who were speaking Galilean? Who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each?" Uh, each of us in his own native language. Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phry- Phrygia, how do you pronounce that, and Pamphylia. Egypt and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and uh, uh, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they they are filled with new wine. That's going to be our text this morning. It's an interesting text. Again, it's the beginning. We find right away in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, just as an aside, the word Pentecost is referring to 50 days after Passover. There's a special feast at the 50-day mark, and it, it was called Pentecost in the Greek. It was called Pentecost. That's what the word actually is referencing. Um so it says when the day of Pentecost, that is fifty days after Passover arrived, they were all together in one place. The question, and I'm just giving the background, the question that, that that arises, what's this one place that they're in? Some people have argued they're still in the upper room. I don't think they are. They're not in the upper room. They were referenced before. Just my theory. I just want to present it to you. But they're in one place, wherever that place is. I suspect this is just a suspicion because it's an important high day for the Jew, in the Jewish calendar. I suspect that they were probably at the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the house is the, the temple has been in the scriptures called a house the house of God. It is called that in the Old Testament and New Testament although, although not common. I suspect they were probably in the temple. Early in the morning, they probably went early in the morning for the activities of the day, the festive activities of the day that involved a lot of worship. So if, if, if my view is correct, and I, I think it probably is, and it, it would make sense that the people came there. It doesn't say they left the place, but the people came as they, as they heard all this noise. And so it makes sense that they're in somewhat of a, a public area versus a an upper room category that could hold maybe 120 people. So most likely, I'm guessing they are probably at the temple. So they're all together in one place on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly, there came about, and by the way, it's in the morning, because in just a little bit, Peter gets up to speak in the next section, and he gets up and says it's only 9 a.m. after they accuse him them, accuse them all of being drunk. He says, I'm not drunk, it's 9 a.m. None of us are drunk. <clears throat> one other thing before we get off of chapter... 2 verse 1, it says they were all together in one place. Some people think it's just referring to the 12. Uh, Certainly the closest connection is verse 26, uh, Matthias and the 11, but that's in the greater context of the 120. I think it's probably the 120 or at least the majority of the 120. Um, If not all of the 120 people are together in this place, most likely the temple. But either way, Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were seated or sitting. Uh, some, If you've looked at uh, the temple, by the way, if I can throw this out, you'll notice if you've ever looked at drawings or whatever of the temple, you'll notice there's no seats there. But in the, in the ancient Near East, they wouldn't use seats like we have typically. They would sit on the floor on the ground. So that's not unusual. Anyway, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. If you can picture this, they're at this temple. Now, please understand the temple is a large, a large building. It was really large. These maybe 12, maybe 120 people are there, and all of a sudden, at probably at this point in time, 8, 8.30 in the morning, suddenly there's this incredible noise, a wind, and as he describes here, a sound, um, and it sounded like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. That is the sound. Filled. It just reverberated off the walls. It was something that no one would ever miss. Something big just happened. And it's recorded here that, again, verse 2, and suddenly there came from where? From heaven. That is, everyone, the implications that everyone that's there, whether it's just 120 or most likely a lot of other people there as well, they all recognize something. This sound came from above, right? Does that make sense? It came from above down. That was the recognition. Verse 3. And divided tongues of fi- as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Whether it rested on the twelve, or rested including Matthias, or whether it rested uh, rested on top of all hundred twenty, there was individual flames of fire. The scriptures describe here in verse three as appearing above every person. We don't know how long the, the flame stayed. It could have still been over Peter's head while he's preaching. I don't know. That would kind of get people's attention, wouldn't it? You think? It could have appeared for a little bit and gone. It could have appeared long enough that as these people began to speak, these, these 120 or 12 began to speak, it was there. Either way, this is going to catch some attention, you think? Of course, the fire is referencing the Holy Spirit. It is the the the... The actual appearing of the Holy Spirit as a fire. And by the way, that's not that's not unheard of in the scripture, is it? That God would appear as a fire. If you're a Jew, do you think this would really be significant? Do you think this would catch your attention as a Jew? What are some of the times when fire appeared in the Old Testament? Representing God? The burning bush, and it spoke. Out of the out of the burning bush that was not consumed, a, a voice came, right? Good. What else? Leading them out of Egypt, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. Most likely there was still fire at night too, but the smoke was engulfing it during the day, right? But pillar of fire by night, pillar of, sm- of smoke by day, and that pillar of fire led them for 40 years to the wilderness, right? Right? Obviously, God was moving in fire. You have those kind of illustrations. So if you're a Jew and you know the Old Testament history and these people, you hear this, this amazing noise and fire and, 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 and it comes from heaven and fire appears over the top of these either 12 or 120, do you think your mind, if you were a good Jew, Even a marginal Jew who only knows some of the stories of the Old Testament, do you think that they would connect the dots? You think? Absolutely they would. Which is the point of it. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me just say real quickly before I look into verse 4, we will at some point, probably after we finish chapter 2, we'll take some time to talk about this this idea of tongues. So we will do that. I just don't want to distract it from the actual text itself. So verse 4, and again, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, the wind came from heaven loud, filled the whole temple, or building, flame overhead, and when it happened, what happened? They started, forget the other languages for a second, they began to speak, correct? Now, these people who are there, whether it's the twelve, this is our first stop, These people, whether they are the 12 or the 120, in either case, they are described as people who have been what? Following Jesus. Right? They've been described as following Jesus. They're probably the 120. I suspect maybe some of them are converts after the resurrection. I suspect also that some of them were believers in Jesus from before the resurrection. I expect there probably were some, even though the description of the scriptures, generally speaking, there was basically nobody. I suspect they were probably more like the disciples in believing, not fully comprehending, but following. There were some. Be that as it may, what is interesting, as we know the history of the... Of the Uh, disciples, and if we want to look at it as just the disciples, that's fine too. It works either way. But you know, you know something here. We all know something. And here's what we all know. Coming up to this point in time, there's several things we know. Number one, they they just didn't get it, right? They weren't getting it. Number two, two, you find at different times a denial of the truth by the disciples. Don't you? There's no question. Number three, you find them at the passion of Christ. You find them all leaving, except for John. But even John's pretty quiet about the whole thing, isn't he? But the rest of them all leave. Don't, Don't you find that? And you find Peter denying The scriptures record that they were people who, after the ascension, were in the upper room, they were praying, but they were also afraid. And then something happened. Something happened, didn't it? What happened? Uh, You could say uh, a big noise from heaven. You could say rushing wind. You could say filled the temple or the house. You could say flame of fire. And you could even say, man, if that would have happened to me... My goodness, if I was at Applebee's after church and I'm eating lunch and all of a sudden a rushing wind sound from heaven filled the whole Applebee's and a flame of fire o- showed up over my head, man, I'd be speaking too. And you'd miss the whole point. You'd miss the whole point. Why did this happen? Did it happen because there was a noise? Did it happen because there was a filling of the temple with that noise? Did it happen because of the little flame of fire that's on top of each person's head? No! Why did this happen? It happened for one simple reason. And the reason why it happened is because a promise was given. That's why it happened. And it's not just any old promise given by any old person. It happened. Everything changed. Because Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, made a promise. Let's step back one more step. It happened because one person, Jesus Christ, God-man, came to this planet and conquered sin and Satan and death and died, and that's when it happened, and rose again, and then he made the promise. That's the Christ who made the promise. To say it in a different way, the one who said... All power and authority has been given unto me. And by the way, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Which is another promise, by the way. Is the one who made the promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. This happened purely and simply because the Holy Spirit in power came upon them. You see, the the, the noise from heaven, the wind from heaven... Fill in the house? Flame? You know that was for? You know that was all for? It was for the lost. It was for the unsaved people who were about to receive a message. That's what was for. You realize that? It was not for the disciples. Not for the 120. <laughs> what did they need it for? They just received the Holy Spirit with power, didn't they? And the very people who were cowering in fear left the cross. Some didn't, most didn't even come to the cross. They left Jesus the day before, or at least hours before. Those very people received the Holy Spirit with power. The Holy Spirit with power came upon them. And what happened? Here's what happened. They said, well, there's this noise from heaven. They said, um, it's really loud. Man, this is loud. And they said, we got these flames. So I guess I guess we kind of gotta do this. So I I, I guess since we kind of got to do this, let's speak. Shall we? Right? Isn't that that the way the scriptures describe it? It's not even close, is it? What What did the disciples need? What did the 120 need? What did they need? This is the question. What did they need? They needed the promise fulfilled. And the promise didn't say anything about wind, did it? The promise didn't say anything about flame, did it? The promise didn't say anything about noise, did it? No, the promise is something about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would come upon them with power. And what happened? When the Holy Spirit came upon them with power... What happened? It, something happened that is so crazy. So insane. So bizarre. The very people who were afraid. The ba- very people who denied. The very people who rejected. The very people who, in shame, went back to fishing and on and on and on. The very people who said, I won't believe unless I can put my hand in his side. <laughs> right? Right? Suddenly, they couldn't help themselves. I mean, isn't that the implication of the text? Isn't it? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Holy Spirit comes upon them with power, Acts 1 8. And what does it say? It simply says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. (laughs) As it says. Forget the other tongues thing for a second. They begin to speak. You know what what Luke is trying to drive towards in this text? It's really important. This is the culmination, as it were, that will continue referring to the promise. When the Holy Spirit comes upon people, they... What? They change. They proclaim. They speak. They trumpet. Don't they? That's what the text says. That's what it says. Now, if I made metal a little bit, it is interesting. You don't find the Spirit coming upon them with power, and then they say, "Um, well... We need to have a training program. Is that what you find? <laughs> well, but, 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 wait, 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 wait. We don't know what to say. Is that what it says? D- do you find them struggling at all with like, well, but I, uh, I'm real uncomfortable here. Do you find that? Is it in there? Is there any implication of that? No. Do you you sense any concern with regard to their reputation? Do you sense any concern with regard to what happens if we get mocked and ridiculed and marginalized and hated? Do you get any sense of any concern there? There's none, is there? No, quite to the contrary, what does it say? Again, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit was moving. And when the Spirit... This is it, right here. Did you hear what it concludes with? As what? The Spirit, what? Gave them utterance, right? Now I want you to recognize something. Again, we get really screwy here. Really quickly. You get the sense, I mean, later on Peter's going to say it's only nine o'clock. Okay, so that's nine o'clock, so it's got to be sometime before then. They've not been at the temple all that long. Right? Spirit falls with power and utterances are happening. You get the sense it's happening all the time, right? Because it is. It's happening. Constantly. It's all over. As the Spirit's given the mothers, boom, it's coming out. It's coming out, coming out. 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 Isn't that the picture here? But today, if I may meddle a little bit, you talk to the average Christian, and... and Use biblical terms. When was the last time you had any utterance about Jesus with an unsaved person? And the average Christian is going to have a hard time, maybe scratch your head, trying to figure out, when was the last time I talked to an unsaved person about Jesus? That doesn't sound like this kind of utterance to me. Does it sound like that to you? Do you think if... Again, let's take a step back. Matthew 28... As you are going. It's an interesting statement. Isn't it? As you are going, what? What does he say? Make disciples. And the the idea is, as you're going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I would argue, again, that that's probably referring to evangelism. And teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Could I ask you a quick question? Here's the quick question. How often are you in a position of as you are going? It's an easy question with an easy answer, right? The easy answer is how often are we as we are going in that, in that category? You know what the answer to that is? It's really simple. Always. I'm always going, aren't I? The idea is, the implication of the text, what it really means is as you're living life. That's the idea. As you're living life. Well, how often are we living life? Well, we're always living life. Aren't we? Yes, we're always living life. What does it say? As you're going, make disciples. That's the command, isn't it? As you're going, make disciples. By what? Proclaiming the gospel and teaching them the truth as I've revealed it to you in, complete, in its completeness. That's what he says. If we are always living life, it sounds to me like if we're always living life, which we are, then we should always be what? Proclaiming, right? Making disciples. To use the biblical term here in Matthew 28, that is. Making disciples. That makes sense to me. Make disciples. When? How's your going? Based upon all authority and power has been given unto me, the verse previous in Matthew 28, and the verse after, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. This is no different. What you're seeing here in this verse that we just referenced in Acts chapter 2 is a fleshing out of that. Do you realize that? What is happening for the first time with the disciples and maybe the all 120 is that they are in a position because they now have the power of the spirit to what? to make disciples as they're going. right? They're making disciples as they're going. didn't have the, the spirit in power before. As you're going, make disciples baptizing and commanding and teaching. For so the first time, Power comes, and immediately they're what? Making disciples. Immediately they are proclaiming the truth about God. Aren't they? I mean, isn't that pretty evident? And today we've dumbed it all down to the point that we either say, Well, it's not as easy as that, Steve. It wasn't easy for them. Well, it's more complicated than that, Steve. Well, yeah, I, I, I hear that. I think, it was, I think it was more complicated for Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And 7. Wasn't it? That was a little complicated. Just a tad. They had stones in their hands. That's a little complicated, isn't it? Here it was as well. I mean, let's be careful we understand. If they are truly in the temple, if they are, the people who are in that temple are people of another religion. (laughs) That's kind of (laughs) complicated. Isn't it? (laughs) They're the ones who just crucified Jesus. They're the ones who are crying crucify him. Yeah, a little complicated. But we dumb it all down to say, well, Steve, it's not that easy. Well, no, that's why they need the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it? That's why. And so they began to speak in, in giving utterance as the Spirit gave them that those words to say. Which takes it down to verse 5. Now that we're dwelling in Jerusalem, all these Jews, and, and probably non-Jews as well, but all these Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Most likely, this is another reason why I say it's probably in the temple, because the Jews would be the ones that are in the temple, whether they're, whether they're naturalized Jews or proselyte Jews. They're going to be there because it's a high, high time for them to be there. And it lists them all out, uh, different types. Development for every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native, native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, etc., etc., etc." And notice what he says next. Verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues what? The mighty works or mighty deeds of God. So these utterances now were introduced to what the actual utterances are. What are the actual utterances? The actual utterances are is that they are proclaiming, they are speaking, they are trumpeting the mighty works of God. Now, what were these mighty works of God? I don't know. My goodness, you could talk about the mighty works of God for hours and hours and hours. I suspect they were reminding the people of the mighty works of God in the Old Testament. They are speaking primarily to Jews if they're in the temple. I suspect that they are standing there proclaiming the mighty works of God as revealed in the Old Testament. Probably going through the first four or five chapters of Deuteronomy, for example. Talking about the Exodus. Talking about the the opening of the Red Sea. Talking about how God took care of them with the pillar of fire and smoke. Through, through the uh, wilderness wandering, talking about him speaking on top of, of, of Mount Sinai, of opening the, uh, the river Jericho, of causing the walls to fall flat, of st- the sun standing still, of the large hailstones, and on and on and on. Maybe Elijah with the, with the axe head floating. The wondrous works of God, but you know what I bet they were really doing? It was all preparatory to what Peter's going to declare because I suspect what they were doing, can't guarantee it, I suspect what they're doing is they're talking about the wondrous works of God, what they're probably doing is showing how that was all about Jesus. I said, I can almost guarantee that's what they're doing. They're declaring the wondrous works of God, but I think it's at minimum, it's preparatory to Peter, but it's probably even interacting with Jesus in those wondrous works as well. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Absolutely not. So they're proclaiming these and proclaiming them and proclaiming them before Peter gets up. And the people respond in verse 12. It says, And all were amazed and perplexed. <laughs> I want to stop on that before we move on. All were amazed and perplexed. That's an interesting statement. I I just want to pause on again and just ask some questions. Could I ask you this question? When was the last time that you talked about Jesus with unsaved people and they were amazed and perplexed? I think that's probably what should happen. That would make sense to me. If the Spirit that is the Spirit that's working on them is the same Spirit that works in us, if the power that He brought to them is the same power He brings to us, and I believe it is, I believe it is, He is and it is, are people ever amazed and perplexed with regard to you speaking to them about Jesus? And even to step one step back from that, again, it says, what are they proclaiming? The wondrous works of God. Take a step back even further. Do you find yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you that the love of Christ, as it were, as Paul said, compels you or controls you to speak the wondrous works of God? I don't want to divorce this text, 1 through 13. I refuse to divorce this text from today. I refuse to say that the working of the Holy Spirit in the important, crucial stuff that he's presenting here is the things that were just isolated to this day. If power means anything, it means this. That people who are fearful are trumpeting the wondrous works of God. If, if that's not true today, then what kind of Holy Spirit have we been given? I, I'm just asking the question, the uncomfortable questions. And what good is the Holy Spirit we've been given if, if it doesn't cause us to move from fear to trumpeting the wondrous works of God? That would cause people to be perplexed and amazed. It doesn't mean that every single person was amazed and, re- and, and perplexed, but it was everywhere. People were amazed and they were perplexed. I think what we have here in chapter two is, is this, to use the term that we've used so many other times, a template, almost. This is what, this is how God works. This is how God the Spirit works. When it comes upon us with power, we're like bah! Again, for the time being, lay aside the tongues thing. We'll get into that later. But the words come out. That's what Paul says, doesn't he? The love of Christ that controls me in Thessalonians? And he says two verses later, because I know the fear of God, I what? Persuade men. Do you hear Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 there? Do you hear it? When you think through the rest, if you've read the rest of Acts, if you have, do you see the continuation of this? I'm talking about the basics here, not the tongue stay. I'm talking about the basics. Speaking wonders of God, the basics. Do you see that continuing throughout the rest of the book? Anybody? Do you see it? I mean it drips off every page of the rest of Acts, doesn't it? I mean every page. How about how about the rest of the epistles? Do you see it? It's everywhere, isn't it? I mean it's kinda uncomfortable, isn't it? I hope it is. It's kinda uncomfortable. Because I'm not sure we see that today, do we? We don't see it much, do we? It's troubling to me. We find ourselves, correct me if I'm wrong, you can correct me afterwards, not now, but we find ourselves, even if we're starting to think about it spiritually, we find ourselves doing what? The, the stutter step, don't we? We're not sure. And with, the, in light of our floor today, we stick to the floor, right? We find ourselves stutter stepping. We find ourselves uh, being really unsure, being really uncomfortable, uh, being afraid. I mean, doesn't that sum up Christianity today? Doesn't it? Does that not sound like pre 1 8? Or better yet, pre 2? Doesn't it? And that's troubling. That's concerning. That's scary. Because you don't see it in the scriptures after Acts 2. You don't see the cowering anymore. You don't see it. Except for in churches that are, the the wheels are coming off. That's where you see it. And they're being distracted by all sorts of other things. Galatians, the law. Thessalonians, the return. And every step of the way, you see it. Jude, everything. <laughs> right? Everything. They're distracted by everything. Read, the, read the, the, the seven churches in Revelation, except for one church. They're all being distracted by all sorts of things, aren't they? It's not Jesus Christ. It's not his gospel. It's not the, the wondrous works of God. That's not what you see. It's troubling. But there's some in the scriptures, aren't they? And Acts records it. Spirits got a hold of their heart. Spirits at work. Spirits come with power. Everything changes. And the evidence, not just in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, but throughout the rest of the book of Acts and into all the epistles, what do you see? You see people regularly, constantly being amazed and perplexed, don't you? Sometimes you find them hating them. That's kind of like, ah, they're filled with new wine. That's just another way of saying that I hate them and I'm just excusing them and ignoring them and throwing them away. You find those throughout the Book of Acts as well as the rest of the New Testament. But you'll find other people being amazed and perplexed and saying, what does this? I'll throw a new English word there. All mean. It's not a new word, but you get the idea. What does it all mean? What does this mean? What's going on? What is happening? You find that, don't you? Because later in Acts, you find people saying, um, we'd like to talk more about this, Paul. That's what you hear. You know what they're saying? They're saying, what does this all mean? They're saying, we are amazed and perplexed. We've got to learn more. And there's others. Ah, they're just drunk. Let's take them out and stone them. They didn't say drunk, but that's the idea. Let's beat them with rods. Let's imprison them. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do something else. That's what we get. So it continues from here. What's important about chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, is this very thing. When the Spirit with power came, everything changed. Everything changed. The excuses were all gone, the excuses didn't even make any sense. They were uninteresting to these 12 or 120. It's no different from Saul on the way to Damascus and then the light shines down and all that didn't matter anymore. Right? Instead, all that mattered was Jesus and Him crucified. That's all that mattered. Because He received the Holy Spirit with power. You see, I would argue that the little subtle difference between this text and the common way the normal way the, the 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 prescribed way of the scriptures is this in this transitional time frame you have Jesus at the end of John blowing the spirit blowing on them and they receive the holy spirit that is the 12 but yet you have a promise in eight of the holy spirit will come upon you with power it's an anointing of these people with power it is not the initial, I, I argue they, if they got saved, uh, if, if we can identify a time they got saved, they got saved at the end of, end of John, the disciples. But what happens here, the day of Pentecost, is the Holy Spirit comes upon them with power. And could I just throw this out here? There's no evidence that that Spirit with power ever, what? Left them. Now we know the Holy Spirit has promised never to leave, Right? That's really clear in the Scriptures. But I'm emphasizing the word power. There's no evidence that it went away from them. Now, certainly you could argue throughout the New Testament through the book of Acts that there are times of special anointing where God does special things. No question. That does not mean that God the Holy Spirit does special anointings of people. You can't miss it in the book of Acts. That does not mean in between those times there's no power. Now what it means? When the Holy Spirit came with power, He came with power and He remained with power. And it was unrelenting. He was unrelenting all the way to the end. That's what you see in the Scriptures. So could I just submit something to us? It's not anything new. It's stuff we've been talking about. But now that we've gotten into it, we were looking at the, at the foundation of the prerequisites and now we're seeing the reality here. Can I just say this something real quick? First of all, we could say there's distractions like oh, I gotta have tongues and all the rest. But I think more importantly, <clears throat> can I just submit to us as a church what we need? What we need more than anything else is to pray. That's what we need. We need to pray. one of the big reasons why I spent that time talking on prayer because we're coming up the book of Acts. We need to pray. What were the disciples doing before this happened? They're up in the upper room praying. You know what I think we need? We need to pray. And I think the prayers we ought to be praying, unlike the prayers we typically pray about Aunt Melba's big toe, perhaps one of our big prayers ought to be, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm reading the scriptures and I see these statements, like Matthew 28, like Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and then the, the fleshing of it out in Acts 2, and all the way to the end of, of Third John, because that's probably the last book that was written. maybe maybe revelation was <clears throat> but god i don't understand why do i not see in my life this why do i not why do i not find the love of christ controlling me why do i not find That because I understand the fear of the Lord, I find myself persuading men. Maybe we need to be praying. God, why? I don't understand. Why isn't the Spirit working in my life in power? I look at my life, if I was able to carefully examine my life, I see power everywhere else. (laughs) I feel power with regard to my, I'm driven at my work for the work's sake. I'm driven with my sports teams for sports' sake. I'm driven at my recreation for recreation's sake. I'm driven with regard to my, my, my health for health's sake. I'm driven for my, my uh, investments for investment's sake. I'm driven politically because I think my ideology and politics is right. I'm driven this and that and something else. But I don't find the love of Christ driving me. Why is this, God? Why? What have I missed? What's missing? What's not right? Open my eyes and help me to see. Because I I want to be so in love with you that when I open my mouth, I find myself speaking of Jesus. Because that's what I want. Is that an appropriate thing to desire? Yeah. And he promises it. He promises it. Remember we were talking about in prayer, we said one of the greatest prayers we could pray is pray according to God's promises, right? Wow, what a promise to pray for God. Understand the consequences. (laughs) Right? That's why Jesus said, count the cost. Because that would be a cost if you don't believe it. Have yourself in your mind an interview with Stephen. There's a cost. Have an interview with Paul in your mind. There's a cost. God, I, I want this. Change my heart. Bring your spirit of power that you promised. Rescue me from this. Drive me by your power. That's what I need. And then along with the prayer, maybe we ought to be hanging out and if I could drag one more thing out of this text, you know what I need more than anything else? I need the Spirit, obviously with power. I need to pray. You know what else I need? I need to be reminded of something. I need to be reminded of the wondrous works of God. And so do you. We all need to be reminded of the wondrous works of God. That's what what they were doing, right? They're proclaiming the wondrous works of God. Why? Because the people need to hear the wondrous works of God. That's what I need. I need to be reminded of the wonders of the Godhead. I need to be be reminded of the wonders of God the Father. I need to be reminded of the wonders of the Son. and I need to be reminded of the wonders of the Holy Spirit. And you know what's amazing? I just say this. He's given us something. He's given us this to tell us. And you know what else he's given us? He's given us the body. And why is he giving us the body of Christ called the church? To remind each other of the wonders of God. To speak the wonders of the wonders of God with one another. To encourage one another. To exhort one another today while it's still today. Remember that, Hebrews? To encourage each other today while it's still today. With regard to what? The wondrous works of God so that we don't end up with a what? Cold heart or a hard heart. That's Hebrews. We just studied it, remember? That's what we need. That's what I need. That's what you need. And yet when we come together too often, if I just may be blunt. Too often after church, here's what happens. Let me meddle for a second. There's no better time than to minister to one another than right after church, right? We just finished doing what? Worshiping about the wondrous works of God. And you know what happens after church right away, usually? One of two things. Now I understand schedules, I understand. So if this doesn't fit you, I understand that. But but To quote Ken, too often we're Catholic, right, Ken? Come late, leave early. What an amazing time, but yet opportunity-wise. You know what happens too often after church? Either we leave right away, or we sit around and we talk about everything, but are you kidding? We just sang the praises of God. We just sang about the attributes of God. And we just studied the Scriptures, and we're going to... we're going to stand around and talk about everything but? What does that say about our hearts? Right? I, I just want to challenge us. What does it say about our heart? I'm not trying to guilt everybody in the afterwards. I'm not saying that. Please, don't miss I'm not being legalistic here. I'm just saying, if I'm enthralled with Jesus, should I not find myself, if I have the power of the Holy Spirit, find myself talking about it? Wouldn't you expect that? What a great opportunity. What a great opportunity. Maybe, can I encourage you? Maybe think about coming early to church so we could maybe have some time of prayer together or listen to the musician's practice and think about the words ahead of time. It's not a bad thing. Praying that God will open our hearts. See, just because the church is supposed to start at 10 o'clock doesn't mean it has to start at 10 o'clock. It can start at 9, couldn't it? could i'm just am just throwing ideas out the point i'm trying to make is if the spirit's at work in us in power he's given if he's given us his spirit in power we will find ourselves speaking and that means ministering to one another and that's including the body christ ministering to one another encouraging exhorting one another comforting whatever the case may be whatever's needed But too often we talk about everything but. What an opportunity to encourage one another. I don't know about you, but I need the Spirit with power. Let's pray together about that. I need the body. First, I need the scriptures. I need to be reminded of the wondrous wondrous works of God. I need the body to speak about the wondrous works of God in my life. I don't need... The body of Christ to speak to me about the wondrous works of the eagles. I don't need the body of Christ to speak to me about the wondrous work of politics. Now, I may think I do sometimes, but I don't. I don't need anything other than the wondrous works of God. So if you feel like something's missing, I think that's biblically where we ought to be. If we seek him, we will what? Find him if we seek him with all our heart. And again, I said it before, the implication is if you don't seek him with all your heart, you're not going to what? Not going to find him. Just not going to. And Christianity just becomes an activity that we do once in a while. And for too much of Christianity, that's exactly what it is. So let's cry out to God, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, help us. What we need is you. And yet, if we're honest, we have to acknowledge that as we look over the vast scope of our lives, There's not been a whole lot of that. There's not been a whole lot of power of the Holy Spirit work in our lives that we would expect if what you say in your word is true. And so, Lord, I ask you to help us, change us. Open our eyes to see why. Change our hearts so that we, more than anything else, love the wondrous works of the Lord. Draw us close. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit. Open our mouths so that we will proclaim wondrous things of you. Glorify yourself in our lives personally and corporately. In your name I pray. Amen.